0: Love Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is September the 29th, 2017. The calendar keeps on rolling along. Uh, I guess there's no way of stopping it or the rotation of the earth for that matter. Um, But the events of the week, uh, you know, keep happening. And at the end of the week, there's no better way to uh, spend time than to be with you um, on this program to share my thoughts of some of the lunacy that we've witnessed during the preceding week. Those of you familiar with the program know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. Uh, I was with the INS for some 30 years, served as an immigration inspector for four years, spent the years in adjudications officer, and then spent 26 years as a special agent where I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch at the New York District Office. I was also the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration and spent the last 10 years of my career as a senior special agent with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So I got to work with the FBI and DEA and ATF and city police, state police, foreign governments, including Israel, Canada, Great Britain and Japan. Um, And ever since 9-11, I've been truly a man on a mission trying to wake up our fellow Americans, trying to wake up our alleged leaders, and boy, oh boy, uh, you have to wonder what the term leader actually means to uh, get America to do what the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, do what that commission recommended. Look at the immigration system with the understanding that it was multiple failures of that immigration system that enabled not only the 9-11 terrorist hijackers to enter America and go about their deadly preparations unimpeded, but also prominently figured in numerous other attacks before 9-11. Now, of course, we now know with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, after 9-11, there have been no shortages of other terrorist attacks in the United States. Some were deadly, the Boston Marathon bombing, the attack at San Bernardino. There have been other attacks that were almost um, fatal, but thankfully weren't. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, a naturalized U.S. citizen, set off a car bomb in Times Square. Uh, The nickname, of course, for Times Square, Crossroads of the World, because it is one of the most congested and well-known tourist attractions, not just for New York, but throughout the world. Who can ever forget that iconic photo of that sailor embracing and kissing that nurse when uh, the armistice was announced that World War II was over. That took place in Times Square. It is truly a landmark. All of the major broadcast studios have studios very close to Times Square because it is that kind of a spot. So this guy sets off a car bomb. Luckily, it didn't go boom. It went fizzle. And before anything could really happen, Uh, the police were able to disable the, the bomb in the vehicle. But the point of the matter is we are in the middle of a war. And that war is costing lives not only in the United States, but throughout the world. And we finally have a president and an attorney general by the name of Jeff Sessions, a man I respect tremendously, who understands the issues, who are desperately trying to protect us. And incredibly, their biggest opponents aren't the terrorists but politicians and judges. And this is not a left right issue. For the record, I am registered as a Democrat. For the record, I've always voted as an independent because I believe that both political parties, the Democrats and the Repugnant Cans, both parties engage in racketeering activities, in my judgment, as a 30 year veteran of law enforcement. They take campaign contributions that are nothing more than thinly disguised bribes. And they do the bidding of the people who write the checks. That's what we've been witnessing forever. And now it is so blatant, it is so out of control, that these politicians have to know that people are dying and they just flat out don't give a damn. That is not representative government. That is not moral. That is not rational. And what disturbs me perhaps more than anything else isn't that we have crooks in politics. That's kind of redundant, you know. But the fact is that the American people are so easy to dupe, to make fools of. And and, and that's why I have this program. And that's why I get on as many other programs as possible to try to grab Americans by the shoulders and get them out of their lethargic uh, nap that they've been taking for far too long. Think about what is going on. You know, we often hear these stories about how people are conned. Someone reaches out and says, Mr. Jones, congratulations. You've just won the Irish sweepstakes. But you know what? You have to pay the tax on the $5 million that we're waiting to send you. And as soon as you send us the the money to pay the taxes, we're going to send you a check for $5 million. And as the saying goes, the check is in the mail. It never happens. And they say, wow, I gave this guy my life savings. Where's my money? How foolish did it ever dawn on these people to say, wait a minute, if you're giving me five million dollars when I get the check, I will take the money that you need and I will give it to you at the time or take the tax that I owe off the check and just send me the net amount. I mean, that's the rational thought process. But time and time and time and time again, ad nauseum, people fall for that. They fall for all kinds of crazy scams. And you look at it and you say, are these people brain damaged? Do they flunk the wiggle test? The wiggle test, by the way, if you don't know what it is, is the person sticks his left finger in his left ear. He sticks his right finger in his right ear. He wiggles his fingertips. And if the fingertips touch, he flunks the test. These people all flunk the wiggle test. But so do the Americans who say to me with a straight face, you know, Mr. Cutler, uh, We have a shortage of computer programmers in America. Of course we have to bring in people from India. Stop. Just stop. Pick up the newspapers and look at how many companies, HP, Disney, California, Con Edison, we go down a whole list. The list is endless and continues to grow. How many companies have fired tens of thousands of American programmers? How in the world is there a shortage of programmers when you're firing thousands of Americans and then you bring in foreign workers? Does it ever dawn on people? Wait a minute. This makes as much sense as that scam of send us the taxes and we'll send you your award. And by the way, the other additional part of stupidity on the part of the people that are scammed is they never bought a lottery ticket. How do you win a lottery when you never bought a ticket? So. How can there be a shortage of American high-tech workers, folks, if thousands of Americans who've already been doing the jobs and doing them well are being fired? Those were the workers they claim we don't have. We don't have them because they were fired. And why were they fired? Not for incompetence. Many of them are getting letters of wonder. You did a great job. Sorry, Uh, We're sending some other worker from a foreign country to replace you. Oh, and by the way, you're so incompetent that we need you to train your replacements. Does something seem kind of flaky here? And yet people say it to me all the time. Or they'll say to me, all we got to do is secure the Mexican border. Well, that was the lie from the Congress and, and prior administrations. You know, George W. Bush, I'll never forget it, kept running around the country We're going to legalize the immigrants. We're going to legalize the immigrants. And that's how he tried to push his guest worker amnesty program down Americans' throats. We're going to legalize the immigrants. Immigrants don't need to be legalized. They are legal. We admit a million lawful. I underscore the word lawful immigrants each and every year. That's more than the rest of the world combined admits into their countries. So I used to go on stage when I did speaking events. And if anybody out there knows of similar opportunities, please let me know. So I would get on stage with my glass of water. And I would say to the audience, offering to make immigrants legal is like offering to make water wet. Water is already wet and immigrants are already legal. This goes back to the name game played by Jimmy Carter, when he mandated that immigration agents and other INS, Immigration and Naturalization Service employees, stop using the term illegal alien to describe illegal aliens. Holy smoke. And then people are saying things like, well, we're just being too politically correct. We even heard that from Donald Trump. Political correctness is bad. Folks, this isn't political correctness. Why in the world do we have a problem dealing with names i remember that when president trump ran he was all irritated and angry and i understood that because the prior administration wouldn't use the term radical islamist terrorist how can we defend ourselves if we're not even going to figure out who's attacking us he was right of course it's pretty obvious but why do we keep on talking about political correctness this is a stupid and ignorant and foolish And self-defeating is anything I've ever heard. There is nothing politically correct about not using the term illegal alien to describe illegal aliens. The original purpose of political correctness or for political correctness was to not use terminology that insulted, denigrated, or humiliated other people. And you know what? I am 100% politically correct. That means no N-word. No other despicable terms like that that describe people by race, religion, ethnicity. None of that garbage. That should be verboten. There's no excuse for it. But that's not what we're talking about. If you think you're being politically correct by not using the term alien, then you have been brainwashed. Congratulations. Because you are acknowledging that the term alien is a bad word. The term alien By law, this is a legal term, simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. Please, please tell me where is the insult in that term or in that definition? The answer is there is none. So we are not being politically correct. Okay, get that term and flush it down the toilet. That is not what we're dealing with. What we are dealing with is nothing short of Orwellian newspeak. This is Orwellian newspeak. You control the language to control the thoughts of the masses. That's what you're witnessing, and please stop calling it political correctness, because every time you do, you are fighting against yourself. You are fighting against rational thinking. This is not about political correctness. You know, George Orwell's book, 1984, was required reading when I went to school. My kids didn't have to read it, so I mandated that they do. If you've never read George Orwell's 1984, I'm giving you a homework assignment. Between this program and my next program, I expect every one of you, to get a copy of 1984 and read it and read it carefully. It's not that big a book. I know we suffer ADD and people can't read more than a headline these days because we're brain damaged. But this is about America's survival. If you don't understand the tactics of your enemy, your enemy will defeat you. Everybody was jumping up and down and saying, what we're witnessing with Obama was Saul Alinsky, Saul Alinsky. If I heard Saul Alinsky one more time, my head was going to explode. Folks. If you want to know what's going on, it's George Orwell. I promise you. I kid you not. Newspeak was a creation of a totalitarian state in Orwell's novel, and they explain the purpose for it. The idea was to alter thought processes by eliminating the words that the thoughts represented. And they give an example for, in, in the appendix of the book, 1984, where the word free was still usable, but only in terms of saying that a, free, a, a field is free from weeds or a dog is free of lice. But you couldn't talk about political freedom because there was none. So they controlled the language to alter perceptions, and every year they tried to eliminate more and more words. The term alien is a prime example. We have substituted for the term alien the word immigrant. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. An illegal alien paints a very clear picture. Illegal alien. The guy's here. He's not a citizen. He's violating our immigration laws. He's an illegal alien. Statement of fact. If a guy breaks into your house and steals stuff, we call him a burglar. If a guy sits down on your lawn furniture and makes a barbecue in your backyard and you come home and find him, at the very least, you would say he had trespassed. What's wrong with that? Chuck Schumer runs around saying, well, when people trespass on critical infrastructure, when people trespass on national landmarks, we need a new federal law. What else would Chuck want? And Let's make this a five-year penalty because trespassers are dangerous. However, when aliens trespass on America— Chuck Schumer wants to give them citizenship because they're not trespassing. They've simply entered undocumented. We now have a new word in the English language. Undocumented is not a verb. Undocumented is not an adverb. But yet we now have a new word in our lexicon created by the Ministry of Truth, known as our politicians and the Associated Press. I'll get to that in a moment. So now when someone runs the border, and the term we used to use when I was an immigration agent is W I, E W I, entry without inspection. They bypass the inspection at ports of entry, because at ports of entry, the inspectors, and again I did that job for the first four years of my career, are supposed to keep out aliens, and this is what the law says, has nothing to do with race, religion, ethnicity. Again, more nonsense, more BS. It's about keeping out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Not a new concept. Ellis Island was a quarantine station. Similarly, aliens with dangerous mental illness don't want them here. We don't need pedophiles. We don't need crazy people. We don't need schizophrenics. We don't need people who are talking to themselves and stab people because they're having hallucinations. So they're excludable common sense. You wouldn't want that guy in your living room. We don't need him in our country. doesn't matter about what nationality. If the guy's crazy, If the guy has a dangerous disease, resistant tuberculosis, whatever, pick your disease of the month, we want to keep them out. That's how we kept America safe from terrible diseases that still plague the rest of the world. We thought we had vanquished polio. Well, like Freddy Krueger, it's back. Well, how did it get back? Because variants of it came into the country, and now we have to worry about more and more bacteria that are resistant to any kind of antibiotic. We're almost in an era where antibiotics will stop working altogether. We used to quarantine kids who had the measles or the mumps or tuberculosis. Why? To keep them from spreading it to their classmates. Similarly, we're supposed to quarantine animals and fish and plants that come into America. Why? To protect the flora and fauna of the United States so that we don't wind up importing diseases that could hurt our crops or our livestock and so forth. Mad cow disease. But don't you dare talk about keeping out an alien who has a disease because you're just paranoid. You're you're just a hater. Understand what we're talking about here, folks. This isn't about hating anybody. It's about not wanting to die. It's very simple. This isn't complicated. Please don't tell me this is political correctness. You're an idiot if you think this is political correctness. This is Orwellian. Now, the Associated Press issues a style book. Now, my degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I, I jokingly say that I have a B.A. and B.S., and the style book was essential because what the style book used to do when I went to Brooklyn College more years ago than I care to admit to, the style book made certain that we were uniform in punctuation, uniform in footnoting, and so forth, making sure that the style we used conformed to a standard. Makes sense. But today, the Associated Press style book, and I suspect other style books, also include what, what words should no longer be properly used. And they do it with a computer program, and you can subscribe to it. So if, let's say, I subscribe to the AP style book and I write an article for frontpagemag.com or capsweb.org or the social contract or Newsmax. These are all places where my articles are published. If I was writing an article and I talk about an illegal alien who just killed a three-year-old child, the program would kick in and out would come my article referring to the illegal alien as an undocumented immigrant. This, ladies and gentlemen, is censorship. It's not about being politically correct. It's about getting rid of words so that you can get rid of the thoughts. When President Trump was inaugurated, my wife, working in the local synagogue, was approached by this very nice lady with a British accent who had legally immigrated to the United States many years ago with her husband. He brought her here. He's an American. And she said to my wife, and my wife told me the story that afternoon because she was upset. My wife was because this very nice lady who's been living here forever and has children here said to, to my wife, do you think that the president is going to try to deport me? And my wife said, what do you mean? Why would the president want to deport you? She said, well, the headline read, Trump to deport immigrants. Stop and think. The president made a speech about illegal aliens. The media said the president is now threatening to deport immigrants. California just became a sanctuary state, or it's about to become a sanctuary state. And what did they say in the article? Politicians in California are seeking to protect immigrants from immigration law enforcement. Understand what that means to everybody, how this has confounded any rational, possible, intelligent conversation. The immigration agency is part of the mechanism That permits a million lawful immigrants every year to enter the United States. Immigration authorities adjudicate applications for green cards, political asylum, authorization to go to school, authorization to accept gainful employment. The immigration system naturalizes hundreds of thousands of new citizens every year. Immigrants need protection from the people that admitted them? Really? No. No. This is about illegal aliens that they're protecting. But since any foreigner is now called an immigrant, they twist the story and they say, well, we're simply protecting the immigrants because we have a xenophobic, racist president. This is part of the fake narrative. Now, when I explain it to you rationally and reasonably, it makes sense. However, you're not going to get a rational and reasonable explanation when you listen to the news. They won't even refer to uh, to Trump's um, executive order on immigration by the right name. And one of the things that frustrates the hell out of me is that Donald Trump is now using the terminology that the media created, travel ban, travel ban. I'd love to be able to have a conversation with Donald Trump and say, Mr. President, what in the world are you doing? You're shooting the horse right out from under you. Why aren't you using the actual name of your executive order? It would send a clear message to the American people, and all the BS would stop overnight. The original travel order was called, and you ready for this? Protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. Protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States. That's the actual name. If they published it, if they published it just like that, people would say, thank God. They'd be calling the White House saying, thank you, Mr. President. I'm able to sleep now. You're trying to protect us from the terrorists and the thugs. They call it a travel ban, and now he's saying it. Someone needs to sit the president down and get him to stop this. Words matter. Words matter. At work, they used to call me the wordsmith because I I truly understand it. A big part of it, of course, was my formal education. Words have impact. So now the president has a new travel order, as they're calling it, travel ban. No, it's an entry restriction. At least call it that. But the new one is called Presidential Proclamation Enhancing Vetting Capabilities and Processes for Detecting Attempted Entry into the United States by Terrorists and Other Public Safety Threats. That's a long title doesn't quite roll off the tongue, but the message is clear. Now, what exactly is new and improved about the new executive order? Well, he's added three countries to the list. What three countries? North Korea. Well, if you've been following the news lately, you know why North Korea should be on that list. If you don't think the North Koreans would love to plant their spies and saboteurs in America, if they haven't done it already, I'd be shocked. Then you understand what this is about. Chad is now on the list. Chad is a country in Africa with Boko Haram, a terrorist organization, if you remember, a couple of years ago that kidnapped hundreds of African girls. Some were killed. Some were sold into sexual slavery. Uh, some were recently um, rescued, but it's a mess. Chad is in a state of free fall. Terrorists and criminals roam freely throughout the country. There is no way to know who's who and what's what coming out of Chad. So Chad is on the list. In fact, the British embassy closed down in Chad. They no longer have an embassy. The U.S. embassy is there, but the State Department has issued warnings about how dangerous it is to go anywhere near Chad. And this isn't the same Chad like we saw during the, the Bush-Gore election, the hanging Chad. There's no hanging Chad. If there's hanging Chad, it's, it's citizens of Chad being butchered by the terrorists. So this is a dangerous, dangerous place. They don't want to trivialize it or make uh, make light of it. It couldn't be more serious or more worrisome. So the president said, look, there's no way of knowing what's going on in that crazy country. If you're from Chad, you can't get into the United States. Unreasonable or reasonable. And finally, Venezuela. So you're probably sitting there and saying, what the hell does Venezuela have to do with uh, concerns about terrorism? So first of all, the president issued On August 25th, 2017, a presidential executive order imposing sanctions because of the situation in Venezuela, how there was an undemocratic election. But what you also need to know about the prior leader of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, was that he invited into his country Iranian shock troops, the so-called Quds, and they were flying in weekly flights from Tehran into venezuela and they pose a threat to our safety so venezuela is now on that list venezuela is known for providing identity documents to foreign nationals under fake names it's a big problem we can't properly scrutinize citizens of venezuela so venezuela is on the list meanwhile the aclu and care which is the council on american islamic relations is saying oh Venezuela and North Korea, window dressing. The president is still trying to keep Islamists out of the United States. Bull. Bull. Um, If the president wanted to keep Muslims out, he should have added Indonesia to the list. because it's the most populous Muslim-majority country. In fact, the population of Indonesia by itself is roughly equal to the combined population of the six countries that were on the travel list before. But this is the lies that we're being told by various special interest groups and that the media picks up on and immediately says, yes, this is the truth. This is the truth. Uh, News organizations I used to have tremendous respect for. I used to read the New York Times every day. I used to subscribe. I wouldn't accept the New York Times if they paid me for the subscription. Their slogan for decades has been all the news that's fit to print. They need to change it if they're going to be honest. Why don't they change it to something a little catchier, a little more honest? How about you'll have a fit from what we print? Okay. Lie after lie, Newsweek in the same situation. And again, please understand, I'm not looking at this as a conservative. I'm looking at this as an American. I'm looking at this as an American. There was a magazine called Wired. I I, I get their newsletter. It's a publication, an Internet publication that focuses on technology, computers, that sort of thing. They were talking about Ann Coulter and others spewing hate speech. What's hate speech? I mean, we're so inundated with propaganda, I feel like we've been transported to the old Soviet Union, and every day we're getting news from Pravda and Izvestia, the old Soviet news agencies. What hate speech if you dare say enforce the immigration laws, you're a bigot, you're anti-immigrant, you're a hater, you're a xenophobe, and the list goes on. These ad hominem attacks, attack against the person, not the argument, is their stock and trade. And what was interesting in these articles, look out for those attacks, the personal attacks. Well, who's engaging in the personal attacks? It's not the right so much as the left. It's not the right so much as the left. I think Donald Trump got it sideways. When he was saying there's good people on both sides and, you know, one side you're dealing with the skinheads and the the fascists. and On the other side, you were dealing with the left loons, you know, the wingnuts from both sides. I think he would have been more accurate if he said there's violence associated with both extremes. That's why they're extremes. Most Americans want to drive their truck down the middle of the road. We may argue about middle lane, left lane or right lane. But we want to stay on our side of the highway and have a nice, safe journey. It's the wingnuts that are either jumping the divider into oncoming traffic on the left or going off on the right and and driving off the cliff. You know, those are the extremes, the wingnuts. They're the ones that are the problems. Average Americans, when you sit down that I just came back from three trips, um, Colorado, St. Louis, Washington, and I'm heading back to Washington in a couple of weeks for yet another event. Americans want this bus, the American bus on the road. We don't want to jump the divider. We don't want to go down the embankment. We just want a nice, safe drive and get to the destination. And what's the destination? A safe and secure America with all of its freedoms where our children have greater opportunities than we had. That's the destination. But increasingly, it's becoming impossible because of the globalists who are trying to crash the bus the globalists who want Americans to compete with foreign workers. Alan Greenspan said exactly that two thousand nine, April thirtieth, at a hearing before Chuck Schumer, when Schumer was when Schumer was chairing the Senate Immigration Subcommittee, called American high tech workers the privileged elite earning a wage premium because we're shielding them from foreign competition. He said if we could make Americans compete with foreign workers, then we can get rid of their wage premium And we could greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. It is the prescription for the destruction of the middle class. But not unlike that couple that sends off that check for the taxes to be paid on a lottery ticket they didn't buy and certainly didn't win, the American public is falling for this scam. They're falling for the scam. We have to import all those workers. Because Americans are just too damn stupid. Well, if you believe that, then you are too damn stupid. But that's not the truth. It's not the case. And it's a con. The con is on. So that's one of the biggest issues that we really need to understand today. Just how dangerous stupidity is. Ignorance is not bliss, folks. Ignorance is dangerous. Ignorance is dangerous. And that's something that you need to understand. And then you look at what happened when Ben Shapiro went to UC Berkeley. Berkeley was home to the free speech movement back in the 60s, the idea that everyone's voice should be heard. I couldn't agree with it more. And the people that are talking about safe spaces and shutting down debate and shutting down quote-unquote hate speech, what's hate speech? What is hate speech about saying we don't need criminals, drug dealers, and terrorists entering the United States? We don't want child molesters to rape little children. That's hate speech? Really? And you're telling me this is about political correctness? If you tell me this is political correctness, you're demonstrating insufferable ignorance. This is purely, purely, totally, unequivocally out of George Orwell's newspeak. These are pages directly out of Orwell. There is no other way to, to interpret what we're witnessing. We are witnessing an Orwellian, an Orwellian attack on America and on America's freedoms. Without free speech, folks, there is no possible democracy. Please understand that. That's why I was encouraged when I was watching Fox and Friends earlier this week, Attorney General Sessions was on talking about uh, about Ben Shapiro, and he said, you know, here you have a bright, thirty-something Jewish lawyer, brilliant lawyer, as he put it, who needed six hundred thousand dollars of private security to be safe to go onto a campus to discuss the issues. Think about that. You know. Really, this demonstrates cowardice also on the part of the left, the extreme left, the -the off-the-wall lunatic left. Because if they really believed and the garbage there was spewing, they should be ecstatic at the opportunity to debate Ben Shapiro. They really should. I never lost a debate in high school and college. I love debates. I love doing expert witness testimony at trials. I used to argue bail for the U.S. attorneys. I love it because if you have done your homework and you have the facts at your disposal, you walk in there and you dominate and you make your point and you win over the audience because debate is kind of like intellectual capitalism. There's lots of competition. You bring your ideas to the marketplace of free thought and free speech. And then the audience, the consumer gets to decide what makes sense and what doesn't make sense what could be fairer what could be more reasonable what could be more rational what could be more dare i say democratic the idea that you provide your perspectives you back it up with facts and let the chips fall where they may if those people on the left were true believers they should welcome they should be doing cartwheels with excitement at the prospect of debating what they call the haters because these brilliant professors and all these brilliant little students, these little snowflakes should be able to stand up there and make such a compelling case that they could discredit Ben Shapiro and he would go home with his tail between his legs and never be seen again. But that's not happening. It's not happening. And there's a reason it's not happening because the left The leaders of the left aren't as stupid as their followers. They know they can't win the argument. You don't engage in a drag race with a Ferrari when you're driving a Volkswagen. You're going to look pretty damn stupid. So what do you do? You flatten the Ferrari's tires so the driver of the Ferrari never gets to the starting line. And you go down the road by yourself, no matter how slowly no matter how erratically, no matter how incompetently you drive, you win because there's nobody in the other lane running against you. That's what this is really about. So, again, I'll say it again. I'll keep on repeating this. So, again, we're not talking about political correctness. We're talking about George Orwell. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> this is Orwell's, the appendix from George Orwell. It's in Wikipedia. Really worth thinking about and it, and it describes um well it describes a bunch of things let me see if i can please bear with me okay Here, here's something that you need to see according to orwell guess which group of people pose the greatest threat to the government to the dictatorship to the totalitarians it was the middle class The middle class had to undergo the greatest level of scrutiny and surveillance. And here's how they explain it. In in, in Orwell's book, 1984, the middle class is referred to as the inner party. Despite their insulation and overt privileges, um, am I doing this wrong? I'm sorry, it's the outer party. Boy, I feel like we're talking about belly buttons, inner and outer, innie and outie, okay? The inner party were the higher-level people, but they also needed to be scrutinized. Um, but they only made up 2% of the population of Oceania, which is the, the fictitious country that we're talking about. So they had to be controlled also. So those are the, the, the successful, the two percenters, because even they were a problem. But the biggest problem was the outer party. Now let, me, let me describe to you the outer party. The outer party members work the state's administrative jobs consisting of the educated workers who are responsible for the direct implementation of the party's policies while having absolutely no voice in their formulation. They are an artificial middle class essential to the success of the party, but who are tolerated only in severely hostile conditions. Outer party members are allowed no vices other than cigarettes and victory gin, and they are the citizens most spied upon via telescreens and surveillance. This is because, according to history, the middle class is the most dangerous. They are the ones whose combination of intellectual ability with limited power means that they are most likely to incite revolution against the ruling class. They administer the laws but don't write the laws. And perhaps, just perhaps, that is why police are under attack the way they are. They enforce the laws that they don't write. You see? They understand the situation, but they pose a threat to the ruling class. So we have to scrutinize them. We have to suppress them. We have to keep them in check because if they get their way, the ruling class might not remain the ruling class. Is this not Orwell? Still think it's political correctness? I hope by now you don't. Now, if you want to look at the purpose, that's, that's another real good one. The principles of newspeak in the appendix um, is truly remarkable because the whole purpose of newspeak, as I told you before, was to confound thought, to make certain that people um, got rid of the thoughts that were dangerous to the objective of the government. So that's wherein lies the problem, you see? And, and so what, what you have to understand here, folks, is the reason for Newspeak, why language has to be controlled. The purpose for Newspeak was all about that. And this is in the appendix. You see, if you go to the appendix for Newspeak, they go into the reasons for, for having it in the, fir- in the first place. So let me, let me read to you. I, I was flipping through this as I was speaking to you. Um, So let me read this paragraph. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of the English Socialist Party, also known as Ingsoc, but to make all other modes of thought impossible. It was intended that when Newspeak had been adopted once and for all and Oldspeak forgotten, a heretical thought. That is, a thought diverging from the principles of English Socialist Party, Ingsoc, should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is dependent on words. Again, not political correctness, thought control, folks. Thought control. Its vocabulary, continuing, was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by the elimination of undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meaning. And so far as possible of all secondary meanings whatsoever. And this is something I mentioned earlier to give a single example The word free still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as this dog is free from lice or this field is free from weeds. It could not, however, be used in the old sense as politically free or intellectually free, since political and intellectual freedoms no longer existed even as concepts and were therefore of necessity nameless. Quite apart from the suppression of of definitely heretical words Reduction of vocabulary was regarded as an end in itself, and no word that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Newspeak was designed not to extend, but to diminish the range of thought, it was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. Think about Twitter, folks. 144 characters. We have gone from the most literate country in history, the most literate country in history, to a country where the citizens bark at each other in 144 character exclamations. This is nuts. This is crazy. This is not political correctness. From now on, when you hear the term political correctness, correct the person and say, no, this is Orwellian. This is new speak, not politically correct speak, but new speak, because that's what we're experiencing. And that's so critical for everybody to understand. This is about thought control. Let me give you an example. The other side doesn't like the use of the word alien because it provides clarity to the conversation and to the debate. We replace it with the word immigrant, which totally obfuscates the whole conversation, by design, not by accident, by design. Whoever came up with the idea was brilliant, evil, but brilliant. So let's say Mike Cutler decides that from now on, because I am now running the um, Ministry of Truth, let's get rid of the words burglar and trespasser. Those are nasty words. From now on, whenever story is supposed to say burglar or trespasser we're going to call the person a guest guest okay so now imagine a story that initially reads Charlie Smith came home from a hard day at work and was surprised to find a burglar rifling through the drawers in his bedroom calls the police that makes sense now we will use my version of newspeak And instead of saying that the guy's a burglar, we're going to say that he is a guest. So he found a guest in his home when he came home from work. And he called the police. And you'd say, well, why the hell did he call the police? And let's leave out the part about rifling through the drawers, because that that might explain it. And, of course, you could always eliminate that story, too, when you write the story. Charlie Smith called the police when he found a guest sitting in his living room. And you say, well, why the hell did he call the police if this guy was a guest? Well, we've decided we're not going to use the term burglar. We're not going to use the term trespasser. We're going to call everybody who comes into someone else's house a guest. Invited, uninvited, what the hell? I've seen articles where people talk about the Dreamers. They say, well, the Dreamers were brought to America undocumented by their parents. Undocumented isn't the way to enter America. They've turned it into that. What they're really saying is the parents smuggled themselves and their children into the country and evaded the inspections process at the port of entry. Look at Menendez, the guy that's in jail, uh, not in jail, on trial, um, allegedly for corruption, allegedly. So he said, if we build that wall across the Mexican border, it's going to stop commerce. Really? The wall isn't supposed to go across ports of entry. Just make sure that we funnel all traffic through the ports of entry. Called it a wall of hate. There's that word again, hate. A border wall of hate. If we build a wall, it will stop commerce. How does it stop commerce? We're not talking about shutting down ports of entry. We're talking about funneling all traffic, all cargo, and all people through the ports of entry. The only commerce that would be impeded is illegal commerce. Aliens who are coming to work illegally or have criminal histories or associated with terrorism. You would think that's a good thing. It would stop the flow of drugs. You would think that's a good thing. So you've got to wonder, is Mr. Menendez somehow benefiting by illegal commerce? Just a thought, maybe not, but I'd love to see Mr. Menendez's thoughts on the matter as he sits there at his trial. Maybe you'll give them something to think about instead of staring at the judge or the ceiling. How in the world are you impeding commerce? If you say you got to go through the inspections process, really, you mean it's optional? Should inspection be optional? We'll do inspections on the honor system. If you don't want to be inspected, it's optional. So that's like when I go to Washington in a couple of weeks and I get in my car and I drive down the Jersey Turnpike right now, I have a choice. I can take easy pass or cash. That's a nice choice, you know. I use EasyPass, frankly, it's a little quicker. And, and and more and more, you know, they're they're automating it, so even if you don't have the Easy Pass, they photograph your license. But in some places along the highway on the way to Washington, you have the choice, easy pass or cash. I guess Mr. Menendez wants to open up a third lane that says free no speed limit. What kind of a Nimrod would go and pay for driving on the highway if they could simply zip into a lane that says free no speed limits? inspection isn't optional knocking on someone's door to be a- to ask to be invited in isn't optional well if you don't feel like knocking on the door climb through his bedroom window it's okay really is that optional but people see this and people say to me wow so so you don't want people coming to America. No, I don't want people coming to America illegally. I love when company stops by and visits. It's fun. You sit down, you have a cup of coffee, you have a nice conversation. It's great. Maybe you play a game of chess. I don't want people coming to my house through my bedroom window at three o'clock in the morning. Does that make me antisocial or just rational and reasonable? But again, on our own side of the argument, we can be our own worst enemy. When you attribute what's going on with language to political correctness, not only are you giving your opponents a pass, but you're actually agreeing with your opponent. Because if the goal of political correctness is not to insult people, and you say that we're not using the word alien because we don't want to insult people, then you've just strengthened your opponent's argument that it's a terrible thing to refer to somebody as an alien. Not politically correct, folks. It's Orwellian. Let's get it clear. There's a real difference in those two concepts. There's a big, big difference in those two concepts. And by the way, this is really where it gets very cute. Hypocrisy is usually a giveaway. You know, if you're sitting there talking to someone, and as an agent, I did this all the time, is this guy telling me the truth or is he a liar? You look for inconsistencies, you know, They tell you something, and the two things can't coexist at the same time. So that's an inconsistency, and that goes back to the credibility. And when you go into court, that's what lawyers love to do. They want to catch you in an inconsistency because that destroys your credibility. So we all know what dreamers are, and we all know you're not allowed to say the word alien. And dreamer is, as in the DREAM Act, alien minors. Wait a minute. Weren't we told that the word alien is a nasty term of hatred? Isn't that what we were told? Then why is it that the term alien somehow was acceptable when it was used to talk about the DREAM Act? How did the word alien suddenly become palatable? So palatable that it was part of the title of proposed legislation? Holy smoke. Do you think perhaps we've stumbled on an inconsistency? How the hell is the word alien in the term dreamer? Yet if you dare talk about an alien who was arrested by the police, along comes the Associated Press style book and would make that word disappear. I wonder what happens if you try to spell out the acronym dreamer and put the words out there, you know maybe the computer would have a nervous breakdown and melt down. That might be fun to watch, to see smoke pouring out of the AP style book program. How is the word alien acceptable when we talk about dreamers, but only when you use it in those terms? Could you imagine the N word being part of an acronym? Could you picture that day coming? I can't. The hypocrisy is endless. The hypocrisy of Chuck Schumer saying that trespassers need to go to jail unless you trespass on America, then you need to be made a citizen. Inconsistencies and hypocrisy. This isn't complicated. If you're trying to figure out if you're being lied to, Johnny Cochran was right. If you can't trust the messenger, you can't trust the message. Cochran, for those of you not old enough to remember, was a black gentleman who defended O.J., brilliant lawyer with big glasses. He passed away a number of years ago. Very effective attorney. He was the guy who had O.J. try on the glove. And if you remember that trial, he said, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. He was an amazing trial attorney. But that one thing that stayed with me, if you can't trust the messenger, you can't trust the message. How do you trust Chuck Schumer, the guy that says that trespass on landmarks landmarks or critical infrastructure should put you in a cage for five years? And he even mentioned on his official Senate website Think about this. A 16 year old boy, probably an airheaded kid, right, flunked the wiggle test, who climbed the World Trade Center, the new building, while it was still under construction. And Schumer said, Look what he did. He could have gotten people hurt. That kid needs to go to jail. Okay. Trespass is dangerous. And you look at the 9 11 Commission report, the 9 11 Commission was very clear. They said that in order to attack us, the terrorists had to come here, right? So, If if you look at the 9-11 Commission report, then then you understand the problem. Here's what the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel begins with. Think of the sentence. This is the very first sentence in the preface. It, It sets the tone for all that follows. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, No agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discussed in the following pages, that it must be made one. What was the point convening a 9-11 commission? After 9-11, if so many politicians are ignoring it, basically, forgive me for the inference, urinating on it, going in the exact opposite direction. We spend a ton of money on smart weaponry overseas, and I'm proud of America for doing it, because mostly it's done to minimize what's euphemistically referred to as collateral damage. Collateral damage, folks. Are civilian casualties, non combatants that are killed, men, women, children, who have nothing to do with the battle. They're running for their lives and they get caught when there's a massive bombing. In the old days, the Second World War, think about Dresden. We firebombed Dresden. We hit it with so many bombs that it created a firestorm and incinerated the city. Civilians died. Not good. So now we do surgical strikes. We're able, because of our brilliant technology, to shoot a cruise missile through, let's say, the fifth floor window, third from the left on a factory, so that we know that we're going to blow up half the factory while leaving the other half intact, not damaging any nearby buildings, not causing unnecessary collateral damage, although there's no such thing as unnecessary. Any civilian death is a tragedy. And and that's that's moral. That's decent. And I'm glad we're doing it. But here's my question. Why does no one give a damn about collateral damage in America's cities, about children killed by gang members, cities that declare themselves sanctuaries, that shield gang members from detection by immigration like they're doing in California, where they have a gang unit. But they've been told you will not share anything, not a sentence, not a punctuation mark with immigration authorities, even when it involves violent gang members, because we don't want immigration deporting the gangs. Jails are euphemistically referred to as correctional facilities, hopefully And it often doesn't work, unfortunately. Tragically, it doesn't work. It's about recidivism. You don't want to release a guy from jail and have him go back out and commit more crime. They call them correctional facilities. When you deport an alien from the United States, if you can keep that alien out of the United States, you are preventing further crimes within our country by that guy who is a sociopath. I worked with Al D'Amato in the early 80s to create the aggravated felon reentry law that makes unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year maximum felony and had the privilege and pleasure of making the first arrest of an alien under that statute, a Dominican drug dealer who lost his green card because of an extensive rap sheet that involved firearms, violence, and narcotics. And yet California says, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want anybody deported. They don't care about collateral damage. They don't care about children who are hit by drunk drivers, children who fall victims to the gangs or the drugs or anything else. And that's the reason that the left wants to shut down debate. because They can't refute a single word that I said or many of the things that other people say who disagree with their twisted perspectives. They have an agenda and they don't want the truth to be part of the conversation. This is not political correctness. This is straight out of the pages of George Orwell. I hope I've given you something to think about today, folks. If I've motivated you to get worked up, good. Now take that energy and please reach out to your friends and neighbors. Share with them the information on my website, michaelcutler.net, capsweb.org, frontpagemag.com, the social contract, Newsweek. Uh, But be involved. Make certain that the politicians come to the understanding and a clear understanding that we, the people, are not as foolish as they hoped that we are. We're all in this together. And please don't for a moment think to yourself, I'm only one person. What can I do? Please remember, history is written by individuals. Please get involved because you know what I'm about to say. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Have a good weekend. those of you who are jewish i wish you all well whether or not you're jewish i wish everyone a happy healthy safe peaceful new year and i look forward to seeing you again next week right here same time on the michael cutler hour good night everybody